Thank you so much. It's been a minute since I used a corded mic. Leonard, I hope I remember how to do this. It's not looking good so far. All right, it's done. Wow. Well, I am Pastor Anthony, and you are at New Day Vine, as Shamrock said. And how are you guys doing? Good. Excellent. So we are on our journey to Easter, and we are in the last sermon before Easter actually gets here. And we've been talking through different different things that we can pull out of the Passion Week and, and Jesus' walk to the cross, really. And we're in the last one, and today's theme is actually called lose. Lose. And what do we mean by lose? Well, in a very real sense, we're talking about a loss of life. But in this week, we're not talking about Jesus' loss of life so much as we're talking about our own. And if that seems like kind of a downer, I hope that it's challenging, but not a downer. We're not trying to depress people, but Jesus was a realist, amen? He never hid difficult things, ever. And if he was going to ask you to do something, it was going to be hard. Jesus would be the last person in the world to make it sound easy. He always painted a realistic picture of what we should expect. And today we're going to talk about the expectation of loss. But before we do that, I want to give you part one of a story that I think illustrates this principle, at least in part. And that is me at Costco last summer. So, get ready for story time, get comfy in your seat, get ready to drink your coffee. This will probably be the lightest part of the whole message. So, last summer, two summers ago, maybe it was two summers ago, but I was getting new contacts. My old ones were really old, they hurt, I was waiting on the new arrival, and who's been to Costco right up there on Stadium Drive? Anybody? No? Okay, sweet. So you go in the entrance, there's a great big bay door entrance, it's got to be 12 or 16 feet across, and they have a big fence running down the middle, and then they have a big old bay door exit, and they make sure that you have to file through in a certain way, and they check all your seats off and stuff. But if you go through the entrance, it's gigantic. They have a guy there, and show him your little Costco card. And then the, the vision center is right there on the left. So I'm in a hurry, and I think I have time to run to Costco and see if they've got my contacts. Run in there, park, I love that parking lot, it's so well laid out. Run in, show the guy my card, go right to the desk with the optometrist. They're not in yet, I'm kind of bummed out. So I just decide to leave through this gigantic, like 16 foot bay door that's right there, they just opened, there's nobody else there. And I'm, I'm walking out, and the door greeter goes, whoa, and steps in front of me. I'm, I'm literally like, if Grant's shoe is, is the line that would mark, you have now left Costco. I'm right here. And the guy puts his hand in my chest and says, you can't walk out this way. And gets really crappy with me. I'm not going to lie. And he's kind of a big dude. And I said, I'm sorry? He's like, you got to go out the other door. It's, no kidding, 12 or 16 feet. There's no one there. It's empty. If I was going to go out the other door, I would have to walk all the way around this gigantic fenced-off area filled with product across the registers and all the way back. It's like a quarter acre. <laughs> so I look at the guy like he just said something incredibly stupid, which, for the record, he had. <laughs> and I said, actually, I'm going to take one more step this way. And left. And I was like super mad. And as I left Costco, I was absolutely certain of a few things. You guys ready for this? One, that was super dumb. What that guy said was ridiculous. And it was. I think we can all agree. Two, I was completely justified in being angry. And three, I was super angry. 
really angry. Walk to my car, still angry. Driving out of the parking lot, still angry. Driving to stadium, still angry. And about an hour later, when I was still angry, and like playing the event over and over in my mind, you know, I started to wonder if something else might be going on. Instead of feeling justified in my anger, and like, man, wasn't that guy stupid? I mean, there started to be this other, I don't know, another flavor, if you will, to the emotion. And I started to feel oddly weak, oddly out of line. Even though I knew I was justified, I knew that guy had done something really stupid. 16-foot bagel was empty. Didn't do anything wrong by leaving. Or did I? Or did I? And was I convinced I hadn't done anything wrong by just walking out? We'll come back to that at the end. But first, we're going to read a very interesting account of Jesus talking to our good buddy Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Here we go. Slides. You will obey. There we go. All right, Matthew 16, our section is 13 to 28. This is out of the NIV. Thank you, Jenny, for moving those balloons. That's excellent. I appreciate that. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he's walking in with his disciples, and he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And his disciples reply, some say you're John the Baptist, uh, others say you're Elijah, and, excuse me, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked them, who do you say that I am? I skipped the slide. That's, whoa, I'm missing the slide. Oh, that's a shame. I'm missing the most important slide. All right, I'll just have to try to memorize it. That's all right. Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it's Peter, of course, who's always speaking up, who looks at him and he says, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And behold, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Pretty big deal for just giving the right answer to a question. That's some amazing praise. And then Jesus replied, oh wow, I actually got that. There it is. Interesting. I didn't miss as much as I thought. Yes, okay. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. All that stuff. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. So they just get the fact that he's the Messiah. It's amazing that they get it. And then he says, now that you know this, it's safe for me to tell you the plan. I have to go to Jerusalem and be tortured and killed. That's shocking. Then this. Peter took him aside. Peter is taking his rabbi aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus now and says, by no means, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives... Man, these slides are goofy. I apologize for this, guys. I did not do it right. 
Whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their lives for my sake will find it. For what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? For what can anyone give <coughs> excuse me, in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. So I apologize for the goofy slides. We are having some technical difficulties here. But this is a very interesting story with a very interesting interaction. I cannot get it to go forward. Dang. Please be patient. Uh, do you guys remember the old TVs where we would get the colors on the screen and make that annoying noise when something went wrong? Get <laughs> we just had one of those live. When they live, they can't cut out and fix it. So thank you for bearing with me. Oh, Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. He gets it right, and then he gets it wrong. And this story, poor Peter, this isn't Matthew, Mark, and Luke. None of his buddies wanted to miss this one. The poor guy. So... We have a conflict of visions here, guys. We have Peter's vision and we have Jesus' vision. And, uh, Shamrock, are you controlling that manually at this point? No. Can we skip forward one? If not, I'll just do it without the slides. Peter is thinking something. He's got a rationale here, okay? Now, he's hot off this victory, right? Jesus has just told him, wow, you've got God revealing truth to you, Peter. You're really picking up what God is throwing down. Like, you thought you just guessed, but man, it's the Lord speaking through you. So Peter doesn't like this whole crucifixion thing. Jesus is making it plain that the plan is for me to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter thinks, oh, no, not that. So Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus calls him Satan. It's a shock to Peter because Peter is thinking something that just makes sense. Crosses lead to death, suffering, and ultimate loss. Death, suffering, and ultimate loss. That's not good. We certainly don't want our rabbi to go towards that. But the problem is, Jesus has a different idea of how things should go. Jesus knows that crosses lead to life, comfort, and ultimate gain. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. That there is always the glimmer of life beyond the cross. Every time it's mentioned... But this sermon is not about that. This sermon is about the ways in which Peter is right, and he had to get behind Jesus' vision anyway. Because even though Jesus knew crosses were going to lead to life, comfort, and ultimate gain, you get there through death, suffering, and ultimate loss. We need to reckon with the fact that Jesus knew that was true, and still call Peter to take up his cross. So, a question arises... Even though we can't really get, let's just ignore the slides for now. Focus here, focus here on my snazzy new shirt that I never dress up. <laughs> we can't really comprehend how gross the cross would have been. Back in the first century, you would see people crucified from time to time. They didn't hide executions like they do now. Crucifixions were made public. Executions were made public. The gladiatorial games... Uh, criminals being executed in all kinds of disgusting, gross ways. You wanted people to see them to increase the shame of the person being killed. The fact that it was horrible and disgusting shamed them, and by you witnessing it and heaping more shame on themselves, in a sense you were distancing yourself 
from that dishonor. Does that make sense? But it was so shameful to talk about crucifixion, people usually didn't. If you were in polite company, that was something you just didn't mention. Crucifixion was horrible. So for Jesus to say, pick up your cross and follow me, no matter what he meant, would have been absolutely repugnant. It would have been shocking. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And so we want to ask ourselves, that doesn't sound like something a loving God would tell me to do. Would a loving God tell me to pick up my cross and follow him? And I, I hate to tell you, but the answer is yes. And thank you, Mark 10, that's exactly where we needed to be. In Mark 10, we have the story of the rich young man. Who knows this story? Excellent. So we have this guy who comes to Jesus. The Bible says he's got lots of money. And you have to read this in the King James or the New King James because they're the only ones that translate it in this nuance. And he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the law and the commandments. And the guy lists a few and he says, I've been doing this stuff since I was a kid. What else do I need? And then we have this. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. The Bible says Jesus looks at this guy and he has a swell of emotion in his heart. He's, you know the word agape for agape love? That's the word here. Jesus looks at him and feels agape love for him. And out of that heart of love tells him this. One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. The story goes on that the guy had a lot of possessions, he didn't think he could do it, he went away sad. But he wasn't the only one who was sad. Jesus laments after that about how hard it is for rich people or people who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's out of a heart of love that Jesus issues this hard challenge to the man. And it's out of a heart of love that he asks all of us today to take up our cross and to follow him. The technology may not come back. Oh, are we good now? Excellent. Fantastic. All right. So, yes, a loving God is telling you to take up your cross. Yes, that's the best possible thing. Yes, my slides are hopefully working now. So let's talk about what it means. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Let's look at the command one more time. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves take up their cross, and follow me. Three parts, we're going to look at each one separately. First, deny yourself. Let's shrink that, I think, and get rid of it all together. Boom. Oh, ah, yes. <laughs> I put this in here because of me. I don't know if anybody else is kind of a depressive personality type naturally, but I am. And if there is a downside to something, naturally, I will find it. Okay, so I want to say what, what denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus it doesn't mean, because what it does mean is hard enough. We don't need to add stuff to this. So it doesn't mean treating yourself poorly or harshly on purpose. It doesn't mean Jesus wants us all to die horribly. And it doesn't mean that finding joy and peace in life is bad or wrong, or God is somehow against that. If you want to argue any of this, you have to discount huge chunks of Scripture. Okay? We don't believe that. This is not what denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus means. It's hard enough anyway. We don't need to think Jesus is up in heaven rooting for us to have horrible lives. That's not the case. 
But let's talk about what it does mean, deny yourself. We're going to make each of these three points from one of the three stories in the Bible where this is retold. The first one from Matthew, the second from Mark, and the last from Luke. In the Matthew story, Jesus says this to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's interesting. Peter has heard from God. Peter thinks he's on point. Peter thinks when he has an idea of the way things should go, that's the way things should go. Peter thinks he has the right and the authority to pull Jesus aside and correct course. Jesus is saying, I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm the Messiah. You know it now. This is the plan. I need to go and suffer and die. And Peter says, no, no, no. I'm Peter. I hear from God. Here's the plan. That's bad. We're not going to do that. But Peter fails to deny himself. And if you look in the Bible, it's really interesting. Peter, stand up, Grant. Let me use you as an example. Peter takes Jesus aside. So now I'm, I'm Jesus and I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm Peter, okay? And I'm telling you stuff, blah, 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 this and this and this. And then the Bible says, Jesus turns and says to Peter, well, if you're Jesus and you turn, which way are you going to turn? You're going to turn away from me, right? <laughs> Go ahead and turn. And then Jesus says, get behind me. Ooh. Oh, snap, right? Thank you, Grant. I appreciate that. You can sit down. <laughs> and he's ordering him, get behind me. And then he says, if anybody else wants to get behind me, this is what you need to do. But the reason Peter was that line because he tried to get in front of Jesus. Denying yourself means you don't call the shots. Denying yourself means you're not the boss of you. Denying yourself means that if there's a decision to make, if there's a direction that your life could go and another direction your life could go, you are not the decision maker. You might have an opinion, but you don't decide. Denying yourself means you give all of that authority into the hands of God and you trust him to lead you where you're supposed to go. You don't try to get in front of Jesus. You take your appropriate place right behind him. That's denying yourself. And in Romans 6, Paul talks about what this looks like practically. He says, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. To deny yourself means you are no longer, ever, the boss of you. Now, does that sound kind of difficult? See, this is going to be hard even without that other self. You can't be the boss of you if you're going to deny yourself. That's point one. Two, take up your cross. This would have been shocking. Jesus occasionally said shocking stuff. Really, just to shock people, to get them thinking, to knock them off their... You know, knock them off balance a little bit to shake them up. The whole eat my flesh and drink my blood thing. Wow, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And this is another one. Take up your cross. This would have been super shocking. And in Mark's gospel, right after he says that, we see this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And then after that section, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And just to let you know, Luke includes this nuance as well. Let's go ahead and shrink that and talk about it. 
There's an idea of shame here, immediately following, picking up your cross and following me. We think of picking up a cross and being crucified, and usually we probably think of, that would hurt so bad, I don't want to have that happen to me ever, right? And no doubt they thought that too. The word excruciating comes from a Latin word which means from the cross, okay? So certainly the idea of pain was present, but the idea of shame was even greater than pain. In Roman culture, shame was everything. Crucifixion was so shameful, you couldn't even talk about it without being somewhat ashamed. You didn't even mention it. Here's Jesus throwing it right out there. And not only that, but shame was feared more than death. If you could avoid shame by dying in Roman culture, you would rather die. One of my professors uh, told a story of a Roman senator who was just walking into uh, the Roman Senate, and somebody in the crowd yelled an insult at him, and he didn't have a comeback ready. He kind of stuttered, didn't know what to say. And people saw the interaction. That was enough to start him on the road of shame. And it only gets worse from there. And he knew it. So he went home and killed himself. Because he could still lead this life with a little bit of honor if he took matters into his own hands. Shame was feared more than death. You did not want to be ashamed ever. So Jesus rightly wakes carrying the cross with shame. And he says, you better not be ashamed of me. Because no one in their right mind would want to be associated with a crucified man. I think this probably played into the fact that Jesus knew everybody was going to deny him when he got crucified. Listen, you certainly didn't want your boss, your rabbi, the guy you were supposed to emulate to be crucified. You didn't want to be tied up with him. My goodness, not only did you want to be as far from the suffering of the cross as possible, you didn't want that to happen to you, but you didn't want the fact that it happened to them associated with you. This was gigantic. Taking up your cross is a stalwart refusal to disassociate with Jesus and a radical acceptance of any consequences that might arise as a result of being loyal to him. Violence, shame, and death included. Carrying your cross means if shame is involved in following you, I'll take shame. Shame needs to be interpreted there as the absolute worst thing in the world. If the absolute worst thing in the world has to be faced by me to be associated with you, I'm in. Now we talked about how Jesus doesn't want us all to die horrible deaths necessarily. He's not rooting for that. But is this still hard? Is this still scary? Is this really scary and potentially really hard? And I would argue that it's not nearly as scary or hard as it would have been to them back then. But we can still choose not to disassociate with Jesus and to accept whatever shame, whatever suffering, whatever consequences might arise and will arise as a result of being loyal to him. That's taking up your cross. Third, and follow me. Deny yourself, you're not the boss. Take up your cross. Not scared of a little shame, are you? Jesus is going first. Will you associate? Do you have the courage? Well, what comes next is following. And this is out of Luke. Luke adds one word that adds a whole lot of significance in his account. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. What does that say? Daily. Daily. And follow me. It's a grim truth that 
Everyone who picked up a literal cross only did that one time. You were essentially done right at the beginning. It's a very grim truth, but there were people who were employed to make sure that your very last day was a very bad day. And when you were taking up your cross, that was the last day. But Jesus says, take up your cross daily. He's not speaking of an event going towards a real crucifixion so much as he is of a cross-bearing way of life. Shrink that. Boom. All three accounts have this phrase. It's translated in a few different ways, but this is the gist. Whoever wants to be my disciple must. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. This is a non-negotiable, and this is a very strong phrase. I looked in Blue Letter Bible. If you find it, I could. I couldn't find this phrase anywhere else. Hey, if you want to be my disciple, must. It doesn't appear to be something Jesus just threw around. If you want to be my disciple, you must do this. If you want to be my disciple, you must do this. It's significant that it's here three times in a row before these commands. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. John does not have this account. But the Gospel of John does say something about what being a true disciple looks like. In John chapter 8, Jesus says this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Why do I say that here? Because I'll tell you, there's a real link between whoever wants to be my disciple must follow me, and whoever holds to my teaching is really my disciple. Shrink it one more time. We're going to cram a lot on the slide, but it's good. That word for teaching is the word logos. And we know that logos can mean word, but it means so much more than that. When a rabbi, when someone radical like Jesus used this, people understood that it not only meant following, keeping, living in is actually the word that's used there. You need to abide in my teaching. And that means not only everything that I tell you to do, but the fullness of my character. Everything I am. Then you're really my disciple. Then. Interesting. Following Jesus means obeying his teaching, and that's true. But it also means thinking and acting in line with his character. Well, what kind of character are we talking about? The kind of character that denied themselves their entire life and gave authority to the Father. The kind of character who was ready to bear a cross since he was young enough to understand his calling, which we have evidence might have been as early as 12. The kind of character who was willing to do that on behalf of other people who didn't even understand him. The kind of character in Philippians 2 that says he gave up all the glory he had to take all the shame he could to do the will of the Father he loved, ultimately to be glorified and share that glory with us. That's an interesting character. That's the character of God. That's the character of Jesus. And whoever wants to be his disciple must share that character and that calling with him. Even if you have to drive all the way back to Costco. Which, <laughs> finishing my story, is exactly what happened. I was so mad at that guy. The look on his face, the way he put his hand in my chest, how open that doorway was, how long the walk would have been to go around. But I knew I was in my car and I had an image of Christ on the cross. In my mind, I swear to God, this is exactly what happened. He's here listening. And I felt the Lord say to me, is that what I would have done? Is that what I would have done? And I knew. I was like, the reason I feel both angry and weak at the same time is because I'm not living in the character of my dad. 
It's not what Jesus would do. I love Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. And man, I drove all the way back to Costco hours later, hoping the guy was still there, and he was. I walk up to that bay door. He sees me, recognizes me, and is ready for a fight instantly. Like his shoulders go back, and his head goes up. And I was, man, I had my big beard back in the day, too. I don't know what he thought was about to go down. I was coming back to give him a hook or something. And I waited until he was done checking somebody out, you know, and then check out the seats. And he looked at me, and he starts to talk. Like, you need to, and he's going to explain to me again the policy, right? And I put my hand up and said, hey, man, listen. I said, I'm a Christian. That means I know better. I love Jesus. Let me tell you something. I could have walked around, man. It's not a big deal. I was a jerk. You don't need that in your life, do you? You don't need people to come to your job and be a jerk to you. I said, hey, man, I'm sorry. He was shocked. <laughs> he was like, oh, bro. And he like just put his hand, you know, his folders in the other hand, like shook my hand. He's like, dude, no, we just... We have so many people that try to run in and out of here, and now he's, now he's almost apologizing to me, you know what I mean? But he was shaken by me associating with Jesus, accepting shame that arguably I didn't even have to accept, because seriously, that was ridiculous, right? Asking me to go around, it really was dumb, but that's not the point. The point is, my Lord would have went around. I would have said, oh, I'm sorry, well, he did it. I was not living a cross-bearing life the first time, but I was the second time. And when I left, I'd just eaten crow with no ranch dressing. <laughs> but I felt strong. And I felt good. And I felt fresh. And I left him feeling good and feeling fresh. Man. That's the glimmer of life beyond the cross-bearing life. But it comes through bearing a cross. It comes through denying yourself. And it comes through following. And that's the invitation. So I just want to ask three quick questions. You can ask yourself these questions to see how you're doing on this. One is very simple. Choose the boss. Really, guys, seriously. When it comes down to how you live life, how you make plans, how you make decisions, even run it by God. I mean, maybe it's so naturally a part of you that you pray about everything. It's so awesome. But if it's not, let it be obvious. Make a change. Choose the boss. Two, do you want to be associated with Jesus? Are you constantly afraid somebody's going to bring him up? Are you, do you avoid situations where you might have to admit that you're a Christian? Man, pray about a change of heart. Pray the Lord can show you his, his character in a way that you fall in love with him. And third, do you admire and desire the character of God? Have you spent enough time in the Gospels, enough time in prayer, enough time in worship to really admire your Father in Heaven? Not to feel like you ought to, but to feel like it's my honor to blah, 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 to represent. Wow! That's where the change happens. And in this culture, right now, today, in America, I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. It could get real hairy. You know what? We might have another revival break out and things will be absolutely rosy. It will be great to be a Christian. But you have an opportunity. Everybody does. And it's just simply this. Associate. Associate. Bring him up. When he comes up, don't deny don't avoid, don't run, associate. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I loved him. Yes, he saved me. Find a way not to be weird about it, but cling to Jesus and don't deny. Amen. This is what we can do right now in the office, at the library, in Myers, wherever we go. Associate, associate, associate. And I'm going to close with a quote from my favorite pastor commentator, David Guzik, from the Blue Letter Bible Commentary. He says this, The disciple must, love that phrase again, Confess Jesus publicly. 
before men. If we will not be public about our allegiance to him, we cannot expect him to be public about his allegiance to us. Amen. Thank you, guys. I'm going to give it to Shannon. Start of the message, you said something about being challenged but not feeling down. I think you do a really good job, so awesome. I'm actually gonna leave this slide up for the end of service because I want to encourage you all actually evaluate yourself with these questions. Take a picture of the screen, write it down, and pray about it. I was kind of formulating what should I pray for us about at the end of service, and I just really felt like the Lord was like, This is this is a decision that you make on your own, but I'm gonna pray for us corporately. Uh, but I just really feel like this is this is a timely and important challenge to make so that we can truly appreciate this upcoming weekend where we celebrate his life again. Um, so I'll pray for us real quick. But Lord, we just thank you so much um, for the wisdom that you shared with us. We thank you that you challenge us out of our comfort zone sometimes, but only for our benefit and only so we can know you more and give you glory. Just thank you for any times that we've had where we've um, maybe been angry and sad because we haven't lined up with your character and I just thank you that you bring to us um, the way we can turn that situation around the way that we can um, redo it to have your character and so I thank you that each step of the way that we just align ourselves with you that we get behind you and follow you and I just thank you for the revelation that you're going to give everyone this week as they pray with you and pray to you about these things Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.